Oh, that's better than preaching, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, <coughs> yeah, the, uh, we'll, be receiving, we'll be receiving the offering after the message this morning. So, <coughs> I've, I may have to take a, a couple nose-blowing breaks here this morning. I'm, any, anybody else have this plague? <coughs> oh, wow. So how long does it last? So I'm going to pick... <laughs> I'm going to pick whoever said four days, okay? Because <laughs> I'm on my fourth day. And uh, I'd like to pray here as we start. Lord, <clears throat> I just pray today that <clears throat> you would just help my voice and uh, help me just to speak. And uh, Lord, even in, uh, Lord, you tell us that when we're weak that you are strong. And so I pray that your word would come forth even Despite some of those <coughs> hindrances in my voice today, Lord, I thank you for uh, thank you for this privilege of focusing on you today, and that's what we want to do. That's what I especially want to do in this message is just focus on you. And so we just commit this time to you, and uh, Lord, visit us here. We pray, pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. <coughs> I want you to imagine that you're 17 years old. You have a special person you like. You've been dating for a few years now. And uh, <clears throat> you go out one night. It's a beautiful night. You're having a great time. And uh, you're young. You're in love. You come back. You go to the house. The parents are at home. And uh, things happen. And uh, to make matters worse, uh, your parents come home and, and uh, <clears throat> find that you have engaged in sexual immorality together. And uh, the next day, Father takes them to the church, the elders say you'll have about an hour, and then you'll be stoned to death in the parking lot. What would be your response to a God like that? I mean, what goes through your mind? I know it goes through my mind. It's like, come on, it's a little extreme, isn't it? They're just kids. It doesn't really seem fair. I mean, just one chance. All kinds of thoughts go through our mind. And yet we read in the Old Testament that uh, the punishment for fornication is death by stoning. <clears throat> And so somehow we, you know, you, you think about this and you think, well, that's, you know, that's the God of the Old Testament. And then the Bible says that God hasn't changed. The God of the New Testament is the same God as the Old Testament. He, he, he didn't grow up. He didn't soften. He, he's not like grandparents. When they get older, they just kind of relax. That's, <clears throat> that's not how it works with God. God, God has not changed. But, you know, I did, I did read something somewhere that said the wages of sin is always death. But if that was true, then we'd all be dead, right? If that was true, every one of us in this room would be dead because all have sinned. Listen to these words from Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were all by nature objects of God's wrath. So I wonder if if it could be that perhaps on some level we have minimized the seriousness of sin in our lives. You know, maybe those Old Testament laws and the seriousness of it was a, a way for us to realize that this is serious stuff. Before a, before a holy God, this is very serious stuff. That maybe sin is more offensive than we thought, that perhaps God is more holy than we thought. So who is God? I'd like you to fill, I think this is on your sheet there. I'd like you to fill in this blank. When First thing that comes to your mind, God is, fill it in. What is it? God is, first word that comes to your mind, put it in. <clears throat> okay. How many, I heard sovereign, how many, how many said, uh, how many said God is love? Okay. How many said God is righteous or good? Oh, if you said good. How many said God is uh, holy? <clears throat> okay. How many thought of something else but put in holy because you knew that's what I was going to ask for? <clears throat> okay, all right. Okay. You know, I think the most predominant way in which people would fill in that blank, at least in the church, is God is love. You think that's a fair statement? God is love. I mean, we hear that a lot, teach that a lot. Uh, people outside the church, uh, if you ask them, God is what a lot of people today would just go, I, I don't know. I don't even really think about it. And we would have a point in saying that. I mean, the Bible teaches. The Bible says God is love. The first song I learned was Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so. But God is, you know, what about that word holy? What about that word holy? I'd like you to think, think about one of the things the Bible says God is is light. So I want you to think about light with, for me just for just a moment. And we use this imagery. If you, if you take light and you refract it, it will always come out the same. Right? What do you get when you refract light? What was that that we read earlier today was around the throne? A rainbow. When you refract light, you always get the same colors. Always the same colors. It's always consistent. And there are three primary colors there, red, blue, and green, that will always be there. And those colors are always fully present in light. If you refract God's character as you would light, it will always refract in the same way, and the same colors will always be fully a part of that spectrum. And so if you would think of it like this, love, as you refract that out, gets refracted out into grace, that's an example of God's love. Justice, that's an example of God's love. Truth, that's an example of God's love. And so it's the fullness of this spectrum that is the full holiness of God. And so if you're going you know, to look at God's holy love, you have to see it in terms of grace, justice, and truth. And so God is, as a holy God, he's always fully operating in all of this spectrum. Uh, we see that on the cross. 
We see Jesus there dying for our sins, and so we look at that. And, of course, the first thing we think of, this demonstrates the love of God and, and just the fact that God is such a loving God that he would die on the cross for us. But that is a very incomplete statement in terms of the cross. It's a very limited statement in terms of the cross because the cross is also as much about God's wrath as it is God's love, isn't it? I mean, the Bible says that Jesus was, was beaten to the point where he was unrecognizable. So what was all that about? That was about the wrath of God. And so, in the cross, we have the love of God demonstrated. God takes his wrath, and he turns it inward upon himself and takes upon himself the wrath for your sin and for my sin. And so, in, that, in there, we see both the holiness of God and that his love and his wrath both are being demonstrated. Why? Because God is holy. You cannot separate those out. So, we have different qualities of God. God is patient, He's kind, he's forgiving, he's forbearing, he's generous, he's good. And God is just, and he's morally pure, and he's wrathful against all sin, and he's powerful, and he avenges enemies, and he will destroy evil, and he is sovereign. He's holy. And so when we pick and choose those qualities of God, then we begin to make God in our own image. Romans 11.22. Look at Romans 11.22. <clears throat> You'll see it up on the wall there. He says, uh, Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise he says, you'll be cut off. And so consider both the kindness of God and consider the severity of God. And something dangerous, something very dangerous happens when we separate those two out and when we eliminate one from our concept of who God is. We see that the holiness of God is very much missing both in the church and in our culture. So here's what we end up with. I'm going, to, I'm going to mention a couple things here that we end up with when we remove the holiness of God and our concept of God as holy. Uh, when we separate out those parts and we just see God in a portion of who he is. Here's the first thing we end up with. When, when we see God as a God of love and we talk about him simply as a God of love, we end up, number one, with a Christianity without atonement. A Christianity without atonement. And so here's, what it, here's how that works. Here's how it plays out in churches today who would say, you know what? God is love. He, he loves everyone. Eventually he will get all people to himself. Eventually, somehow, some way, God will forgive everyone. And so what we need to do is we need to exemplify the love of God. We need, to, we need to feed the hungry, and we need to minister to the sick, and we need to be involved in our community, and we need to be involved in 
living out life and helping others like Jesus helped others. But the preaching on, on the seriousness of our sin and on the need for a Savior and, and responding to the gospel in many churches today is, is absent. Christianity without atonement because the justice and wrath of God are, are not characteristics of this God that we take seriously. We end up with books like Rob Bell's book on typical emergent writing, Love Wins, which contains many truths. But when we begin to pull out these concepts of God that we somehow, you know, somehow are part of his holiness, then we begin to say things like, well, maybe there is no hell, or maybe things will work out in the end just because God is love. God has always judged sin. He's always been willing to forgive. Last week we looked at the golden calf. God came, he forgave his people, but you know, don't forget the fact that he killed 23,000 people in one day because of the sinfulness of the people. And so in, in churches today, a call to respond to the gospel is missing. And mainline denominationalism today is in serious, serious decline. 1,500 pastors a month leave the ministry in this country. I heard a statistic this week that 50% of pastors interviewed said if they could make a living doing something else, they'd leave their church tomorrow. No wonder our churches are in trouble. And so we end up in, in a culture where, with a Christianity that, that's not serious about the need for atonement because we don't take seriously the wrath of God against sin. And when that happens in a church, the church loses its power, the spirit removes itself, and that church is just a matter of history. Here's the second thing that has happened when we lose this sense of the holiness of God, and that is Christianity becomes predominantly therapeutic. And this has affected us all. When the gospel is presented in terms of what it will do for you, predominantly, if you're sad, Jesus will make you happy. If you're poor, Jesus will make you well off. If you're lonely, he'll bring people into your life. If, if you have a bad marriage, Jesus will fix it. And, and so, does God want to make people happy? I, I think he does. Uh, he wants to help the lonely. He, he wants to heal marriages. He wants to provide. But if that's the bottom line, you know, if that's the bottom line in our lives, then what happens when God doesn't come through for us in that way? You know, what happens like we looked last week when you're thirsty and you're tired and, and you're tired of waiting and it's been 40 days and Moses still hasn't come back? Well, then we look for some God somewhere else to fix and heal our pain. It, it becomes all about our felt needs and it becomes about us instead of about him. And pretty soon, it's all about me. It's all about me. And so we begin to build our spiritual beliefs from the inside out rather than from the outside in. 
And so rather than going to the Word of God and saying, what does this say about God? Uh, we began to create God in our own, own image as we pick and choose those things that most appeal to us. And then what happens is God becomes the one on trial. And now man becomes a judge, and, and we question God's actions and, and his ways, and we question his character. You know, I, I don't have a problem with, with being uh, honest with God. I don't have a problem with pouring your feelings out to God. Uh, I don't have a problem with crying out to God. I don't have a problem with saying, God, this is so hard. God, I don't like this. I don't like this situation. I don't have a problem with any of that. What I have a problem with is questioning God's character. Because when you and I complain and question God's character, when, when you say, God, I don't think that's fair, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying, God, you're not holy. You're not acting fairly here. And so, that's what, you know, that, that's what happened in the garden. Satan came up and said to Eve, he said, God's not really being fair here to you. He's, he's, he's withholding from you. God is really not good. He begins to question God's holy character. God's actions are perfect. He never makes a mistake. He never miscalculates. He never learns from his past. He always does what is holy. However, in a culture that becomes therapeutic and turns inward, what we find going on then is that we begin to create uh, an image of God based on our own perceptions about it. When, when me becomes of first importance, then what God does is he gives us over. Read through Romans 1. When it becomes about us instead of him, when we seek to bring glory to God and honor him, God says, okay, okay, do your own thing. Go, go ahead. If you want to be your own God, if it wants to be all about you, it says, that's exactly what it says that God turns us over and when we do that, we begin to create more pain and greater needs in our lives and more problems, and we become more absorbed with all of the difficulties going on in our lives. So, so how do we get to that place? Well, reading, you know, reading the history of America, you, know, you can find yourself in Israel over and over and over again. Uh, I'll just give you a, an example from just from one passage, uh, follow along with me. Deuteronomy 8.10, listen to this. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 8.10 through 14. Now when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says, be careful when, when you come into a land and I bless you. 
I bless you in many ways with, with land and homes and, and cars and water and, and electricity and indoor toilets and stoves that turn on even, even with a timer and, and computers and iPods and, and uh, iPads and iPhones and on and on and on. Be careful that you don't forget me. Be careful that you don't forget me in your government, that you don't forget me in your schools, that you don't forget me in your money, that you abandon the boundaries that I've set forth because the day you do that, a curse will come upon the land. And that's where you and I live today. That's precisely where we live today. Never in this country have we had so much and so little. It's incredible. I mean, we have more stuff we have it all, really. And yet, depression and anxiety are at all-time highs. Marriages are failing more than they're succeeding. This year, 53% of all children will be born out of wedlock. Kids are demoralized. Teen suicides are at an all-time high. We have one of the highest incarceration rates in the world. And what counselors are finding when they visit with, visit with people... They're finding that a lot of people that come to them that come to them are from very decent homes. But there's this emptiness, just this emptiness. That those who come have high self-esteem. They have high self-esteem, but their self feels empty. Uh, they're told they can do anything they want, but they don't know what they want to do. Never have people been more connected to social media, and yet at the same time, never have people been more lonely. And so we have it all, and we have nothing. Because we've started worshiping ourselves instead of worshiping God. We've, we've turned inward on ourselves, and, and our lives have just, it has sucked the life that God intended for us to have. And so what we want now is a therapy, God, because we are in pain. Relationships are broken, we're lonely, we're empty, all this stuff. And so we, we are hemorrhaging psychologically and emotionally, and the pain is intense, and we need a God who will fix it. We need a God that will come through for us. It's interesting that in, in Europe and in the United States that... In, in the polls, 80% of everyone interviewed, and this has this is switched dramatically from 30, 40 years ago, 80% of people say they are spiritual. In Europe and, and in the U.S., 80% say they are spiritual. That they're, people are looking for something spiritual beyond themselves because, because life is not working. The only problem is we're not willing to look outside of ourselves to the God who reveals himself in the scriptures to us. We want to maintain control of our lives. We want God to come and meet us on our terms, and, and it just doesn't, you don't meet God that way. The church today has fallen prey to this thinking as well, and, and we've lost sight of this holiness of God, and, and sometimes our, you know, our, our, Teaching can just be simply, you know, five steps to a better marriage, three keys to overcoming depression. 
Four ways to financial freedom. Now, certainly God is a healer. Certainly God cares about our marriages. Certainly God wants to provide for us. But the point is, he is so much more than that. It's not all about us. It's not all about my pain. It's all about his glory. And it's interesting what happens when you get, when you get into a moment where you are moving into the presence of God and you begin to see his glory and you're staying there singing that song, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and you're getting your mind off yourself. Isn't there something that happens in here? And that's kind of a picture of what's happened in our culture is that we've lost sight of the glory of God and we become so absorbed in ourselves and our problems and it just accentuates and permeates and cycles us down this pit. And, and the answer, the answer is to once again see and acknowledge and live for the glory and, and the holiness of God. It's not about us. Just, I want you to just take a little, the few minutes we have left here, I want you to take a little, little 10 minute walk with me. <clears throat> and I'm just going to take a little walk through, uh, through the Bible. I'm going to start in Leviticus chapter 10, and there's this guy by the name, by the name of Aaron. Leviticus 10, chapter 10, he's got four boys. And two of the boys are messing around in the temple. And they're doing some stuff with the censers, the fire, that they're not supposed to do. And uh, I'll just read a short portion here of the story. Leviticus 10. It says, Aaron's sons, Nabab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. They, authored un they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. And so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of people I will be honored. Wow. And the Lord comes to Aaron. We see in verses 6 and 7 there, and he says, or Moses instructs this through the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, the two that were left, do not let your hair be unkempt. Do not tear, do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. Your relatives, the house of Israel, they may mourn, but you are not to mourn. This, you are not to mourn the loss of your two sons because this was justifiable action for them in the presence of this holy God. We look at Solomon in Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter seven, and. Listen to what it says there. Second Chronicles 7, verses 1 to 3. When Solomon finished praying, this is after dedicating the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. 
when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. So the glory of the Lord comes into church. When the glory of the Lord shows up, it's so powerful, people can't even go in. If they walked in the door, they would be destroyed and, and consumed. So you know, what, what is, do we, do we comprehend this God of, and the extent of his holiness? If we had time, we, we could look at Moses who wanted to, you know, God said, if you look at my face, you'll be toast, you'll be God. It will kill you. So holy is God. We see the book of Job and the life of Job. You know, this guy Job, listen to what is said about, about his life. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He still maintains his integrity. integrity. This was after he lost all of his kids, all of his livestock, everything he had. He still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. And so here's Job. You know, if anybody could stand before God, you'd think Job would. I mean, he was, a, he was obviously a very good man, a very righteous man, a lot more righteous than probably uh, a lot of us here, certainly than myself. And so Job, near the end of the book, he begins to question God's actions in his life. He begins to question that. And as we, well, obviously we don't have time to go through it, but it's interesting, when we get to chapter 38, we get to chapter 38, we see that God uh, answers Job. And he begins with a long series of questions and he begins to show Job really what he's doing here is demonstrating his holiness. And so all these questions, you know, he says to Job, who shut up the sea behind the doors? Who made the clouds in their garments? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? What, what is the way to the abode of light? Surely you know. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? On and on. 132 verses. Question after question after question. question. Demonstrating how far above Job God really is. The, the glory and, and, and the wonder of what God has done. And it's interesting. After 132 verses. Listen to Job's response. Then Job answered the Lord, I, I, am, I am unworthy. How can I reply? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. 
My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And notice his response to seeing the holiness of God. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We, we see Isaiah who, you know, and, and both Isaiah and Ezekiel, another couple of guys, two great prophets of God, they both had encounters with seeing a little bit of the glory of God. You know where they found themselves? Both of them on their faces as though dead. And God has to, to lift them up off the ground. That is the response. There's one other I want to close with, with this one, and that's in the New Testament. And I'd like you to just look with me <clears throat> at John's experience in the book of Revelation. What's interesting is, you know, John was the guy that it was said of him, this was the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, these, John was very close with Jesus. And so now he's going to encounter Jesus again in the book of Revelation. But there's a difference because the first time it was the Jesus who stripped himself of his glory. Now he sees Jesus Christ who has returned to his glory. And we see that in Revelation 1, verse 17. It says, when I saw him, he, he gets this image of Christ. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. So he sees Jesus and he's on his face as if, as if he were dead, motionless. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like when you don't dare move because if you move at all, something terrible is going to happen. That was John's response to the holiness of Christ here. And so John would go on and he would give words to these seven churches. The last one was the church in chapter 3 of Laodicea and he would talk about their, their lukewarmness before him. At the end he says, To him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then he has this vision, chapter 4. And there was this door standing open and he's invited to come in and he comes in and there he actually sees this throne. And, and just, I want you to just kind of imagine, paint a picture in your mind here of what he sees. He says, there was one who sat there. He had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. That's like, that's like this red, beautiful stone and the other one is like a diamond. So it's like rubies and, and diamonds on this is this image, that's what's sitting on the throne. And around the throne, surrounding the throne, we see that there are thrones of 24 other thrones. Seated on them are 24 elders. They're, they're dressed in white and they have crowns of gold on their heads. And, and then from the throne come flashes of lightning and the rumblings and peals of thunder. You know what that feels like when, when there's a, a, a storm and the thunder is close and it's just this amazing sense of power and force. It says there is lightning and thunder coming out from the throne and there are seven lamps that are blazing there representing the seven spirits of God. And then out in front of the throne it says it looks like something like a sea of glass 
clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and on back and, 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 and all over their wings. And I think the imagery here is they cannot have enough eyes to see the glory of God. Whichever way they turn, they they, they are always looking. Their eyes are fully, hundreds of eyes are focused on this one who is seated on the throne. And it says, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy. They just keep saying it. You know, those of us who complain about repetition in songs they never stop saying it day and night the same thing over and over and over again why because this God is so holy you know sometimes you see something you go wow and then after you've seen it ten times you you don't quite have the same reaction anymore because you've already seen it it never ends with, with these creatures. They, they are continually in awe of this God, day and night, day after day. That's the picture here that John sees. And it says, whenever the living creatures give thanks, these 24 elders fall down before the one who sits on the throne, and they lay their crowns before him, saying, Lord, you are worthy. You are our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. That's the scene around the throne. That, that is the, the scene around the throne. And what stands out here is that everything going on is about this one on the throne. It's, it's not about themselves. It, it's about this one who sits on the, on the throne. It's about him. So here's what I'm saying this morning. The answer to our culture, the answer to our world, the, the answer... To, to our day is a vision and it is to see the holiness of God. And I know that sounds very simple. But when, when you see the holiness of God and you see the desperateness of your own life and then you hear the gospel that as, as, and as magnificent as God is and as unholy as we are that God is offering his righteousness to us through Christ that's what makes the gospel powerful without this vision of God it's like why do I need the gospel I mean why do I really need to be forgiven is my sin really that serious before God only as we see the holiness of God can we appreciate this thing called his grace and his mercy which he is offering us through Christ so can you imagine being in that room did you know you're going to be there it, it, the last verse leading up to this in chapter 3 it says to him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne You're going to be one day in this throne room. If you have a righteousness that is perfect and holy and sufficient, and the Bible teaches that righteousness will only come through the righteousness of Christ imputed in your life through faith in Christ and through the mercy of God. 
That's why we're called to preach the gospel. And for those who respond, we will enter that throne room and we will be in the presence of this one. And you know, people say, well, when I see God, I'm going to ask him this. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be asking questions, okay? God, was Calvinism really true? Or, or God, you know, you know this, all these questions we say, I'll ask God someday. Yeah, there, there may be a place for that, but, but when you meet God, I think, I think we'll all be where everybody else has been when we saw this happen, and that's on our faces. And, and the only thing that will bring us up is that gentle hand saying, do not be afraid. And the words, you know, imagine yourself on your knees there before him. And the most beautiful words that <clears throat> this is what we should want to hear. This is what should motivate our lives and everything we do would be in that moment to hear these words spoken over us. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that the reason, you know, is that the reason why I live? Is that the reason why you live? Because that's the moment in time. That's the place that God desires to bring us to. Father, this morning, uh, we just want to pause here as, as we get to the end of this. And what I have just realized uh, overlooking at this topic that we have in our world and in our culture and in our country, we have so lost a vision of who you are. And uh, we have very little idea of just what it means that you are a holy God. We, we think we're entitled to things that we would just see you, we would realize we're not entitled to anything. But it is simply the wonder of your grace and mercy that never ceases to amaze us. Father, that, that, that while we were yet sinners, that you would die for us. And so we just, we're just here as your people today to rejoice in that. But I want to pray this morning for, <clears throat> for anyone here who has yet to receive the the righteousness of Christ, the only righteousness that will stand before you. Father, this is the gospel, that though we are so unholy, though we have transgressed your law, though we have sinned against you, that, Father, you have taken that wrath of our sin and turned it on yourself on that cross. And in justice and in love you have come that we might have life. Father, for anyone here who has yet to receive Jesus Christ into their life, I just pray, Father, that in this moment that they would cry out in their hearts to you and invite you to come and to surrender their lives to him and to you and invite the very spirit of Christ to come into their life and transform and change them. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for uh, the revelation of yourself to us. Thank you for your holiness, which uh, demonstrates itself throughout our world today. And we're just here just to worship you and to honor you for who you are. Lord, as we...
conclude this service now. Just, just bless our time. Uh, bless this offering as we receive it. We just give it in thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.